Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Good morning, TLCC. How's everyone doing? Oh, look at that. I could tell we all lost an hour of sleep last night. Let's try one more time. How's everyone doing this morning, TLCC? Thank you for faking it for me. That's wonderful. That was wonderful. Hey, my name is Ben Stapley, and I get a chance to serve on staff as the executive pastor. It's great that you are with us today, and we are great to have you jumping into the series, Cultivating Paradise. If you haven't been with us for the past couple of weeks, we're in this message series where we're looking about cultivating different things in our life. But one of the tensions is cultivating something is difficult. doesn't come easy. doesn't come natural. Oftentimes, it takes a lot of work to cultivate something. One of the ways I say it is this, cultivation takes commitment and competency, commitment and competency. I know sometimes we, uh, summer's you know, approaching here, sometimes we want to, as summer approaches, get on our beach body ready, we might want to work out, get in shape. I remember myself, I wanted to cultivate my body in high school, I wanted to develop a core and, you know, and the abs, and you know, believe it or not, it did not work out, but I wanted to, I had the desire to. And I was committed to cultivating my body. I, I bought the weights, got the bench press, I set it up downstairs in our basement. I was ready to go. I was committed, but I was not competent. I didn't realize there's this important thing in the weightlifting world called a spotter. A spotter. Some of you are laughing already. You know where the story is going to end up. It was a spotter. So I put on all the weights on there. I wanted to max out and see how much I could lift. 125. I know some of you are very impressed. So I was going to max out 125 with my bench press, and um, again, no spotter. So I got the weights off the rack, and then they quickly descended upon my chest and pinned me painfully against the bench press. And I struggled to get this thing off for a couple of minutes, and I realized I'm either going to die here, or I'm going to yell for help. And so uh, pitifully, I yelled out for help, and it was the most pitiful yell, because it was, Mom! And my mom came down, and my mom helped me with my bench. She was my spotter. She, Come on, you got this, you got this, you got this. And so I was, I was committed to working out. I was not competent. I didn't know the basic tenets of working out. It helps with a friend, especially if you're trying to max out your bench press on a given day. So committed but not competent. Well, it also works the other way as well. Um, sometimes we are, are, are competent, but we're not committed. My wife grew up, and she grew up with four siblings. Uh, they grew up on six acres of land. They had a 30-by-30-foot 30 30 garden. They basically were running a functional farm in my mind. It was, this thing was huge. It was mammoth. They had tons of produce that they grew every year and were able to have it for the whole year long. And when we got married, she said, I would love for us to have a garden as well. And I told her, I would love to as well. We're living in an 800-square-foot apartment. It's not going to happen. So it, it didn't happen at first, but then we ultimately moved into our house with some land around it, and we were able to develop a garden. So I was really excited to do this. And you can see a picture behind me. This is the photo of us. This is the, the fruits of our labor after a summer, or the, the vegetables of our labor. My wife said that joke was not going to work, and she was right. <laughs> Here are the fruits of our labor, one cherry tomato and a bushel of basil. That was it. That's all we, that's all we developed. Because... I was competent, but I wasn't committed. I was competent. I went to Home Depot. I kind of ran my hand through the soils, you know, just p picked out tools, you know. I want to do this right. I was competent. I went, I went and read up books on farming. I went to a 4-H fair. I was a nerd when it came to gardening. I wanted to do this really well. 
I was competent, but I was not committed. After that first week of planting it and weeding it, doing all that hard work, I completely neglected it. And it came up the following week, and at that point, the weeds had grown taller than the plants. And I said, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And that was the extent of my garden. Ever since then, we just go to a farmer's market, and I said, let's just buy whatever we want. If someone else can do the work, we're just going to buy it. So, again, you need both things to cultivate something in your life. They're both needed in tandem. Some of those things that we've looked at over the past couple of weeks are our identity. How do we cultivate our identity? How do we cultivate spiritual patterns? How do we develop our mindset? Next week, Pastor Terry's going to be back, and he's going to be talking about cultivating a likability. How are you liked by other people? What does that look like? How do you push into that? How are you committed and competent in that area? This morning, we're going to be talking about cultivating parenting. Cultivating parenting. Now, I know when I say that right now, I've gained some of you as listeners. Some of you are like, yes, I need help cultivating my parenting. Uh, you know, maybe on a good week, I'm kind of struggling. Uh, on a bad day where my kids lost an hour of sleep, I'm really struggling. I am ready to cultivate my parenting. But I know as I've gained some of you, I've also lost some of you. Some of you might be saying, hey, I'm, I'm grandparents. That season has come and gone. Um, you know, I don't plan to have kids or I don't want to have kids or I'm not even able to have kids. That season isn't for me. My encouragement for you is this applies to all of us. This message will apply to wherever we are on the spectrum. So I encourage you to lean on in. If, you're, if your grandparents realize that you may have grown children, but your title and your role as a parent to them has not been outgrown, you still play that role in their life. And at some point, maybe even their kids' lives as well. For those of you who are would-be parents and hope to have children down the road, there's a number of action steps that you can take now to cultivate that so you're ready for your children when they show up. And for those who don't foresee themselves as a parent or sadly aren't able to have children, this talk will still apply to you because you are playing some type of mentoring role in someone's life younger than yourself. You might be an aunt or an uncle and have nieces and nephews. You might be a, a, a leader in Redline Youth or K-Port Kids and are mentoring students or children. You might be a boss at work as a supervisor and have a direct report who is younger to you that that should not just be a professional relationship, it should also be a mentoring relationship. Wherever we are this morning, this talk is going to apply to all of us, so I encourage us all to lean in. And as a disclaimer, this talk is not going to be just mining my experiences as a parent. Parent, I only have a decade of experience and I have only a small sample size of two daughters that I've been raising. So what I know is pretty small and thin. But here's the deal. This morning, we're going to be looking at what God has for our life. We're going to be looking at his canopy of scripture and teaching. And beyond that, his heart as a parent towards us. So that's our journey. That's where we're going this morning. I'm excited to do it with you guys. So quick question. I want to make sure that I still have everybody with me before we keep moving forward. Quick question, who here in the room, show of hands, who here in the room, show of hands, was raised by either a parent or a guardian? Who here, do you, a trick question, we were all raised by a parent or a guardian, you know, all our hands. Unless you were raised by a pack of, you know, wolves, our hands should be going up. Uh, okay, we're all, okay, great, great. We're all raised by parents. Okay, another quick question. How many people here have somebody in their family, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a sibling, somebody in their family that is a little bit awkward, a little bit awkward? Show of hands, right? Somebody in your family that you're kind of embarrassed their branches on your family tree. 
Um, and then here's the, here's the spoiler as well. If you're not raising your hand right now, you're probably the awkward one in the family. Let's just call it out. Let's just call you know, No, my family's normal. Then you're the, you're the weirdo, let's be honest, right? Okay, so we all have some degree of awkwardness in our family. Um, I, I love to go on the rabbit trail myself to kind of inspire me. I don't know, misery loves company. Like, to realize other people are awkward in their families. They don't have it all together. They're struggling a bit. I like to go to the website, um, the Awkward Family Photos. Anyone ever hear of this website before? Oh, you're in for a treat. You are in for a treat. Okay, Awkward Family Photos. It lives up to its name. Uh, I'll warn you now, you could spend hours on there. You probably shouldn't. You spend hours just rabbit trailing and looking at all the awkward family photos. I'll show you like five of my highlights here. Five of my highlights. The first one is this one. It's a family enjoying a pool. They're enjoying, some of, most of them are enjoying the pool. Uh, we got another one here from the 70s. Uh, everyone in plaid, right? Everyone, I don't know why, they're all rocking it. I'm trying to like figure out whose decision was it to do this. I got a feeling it was this guy's, right? He's just got that look about him, right? Uh, uh, but hey, the, the 70s weren't the only decade of bad fashion, right? Fast forward to the 80s. We see that in the 80s as well. A lot of denim, a lot of denim. And the pyramid, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Two awkwardnesses happening with that family. Uh, beyond them, I actually, I kind of appreciate this photo here. Uh, in this photo, the husband and the family got called into work and missed the photo shoot, so the wife improvised with a cardboard cutout of Eddie Murphy. I think, you know, that's smart on her level. That's, that's next level thinking right there. Right, but why does she have a cardboard cutout of Eddie Murphy, right? It just asks more questions as we go down here. Okay, so we, we have that. We have this photo here. Um, in the foreground, we have a, a boy, you know, holding uh, a goat, Right? Yeah. Some of you saying, "Ah." Some of you are looking in the background at the the daughter being mauled by the reindeer, and you say, "Ah, not ah, ah." Right? Sometimes we, as parents, kind of forget our children. That's happening in the background. Sometimes we completely forget our children, or we just put them off to the side, like in this photo here. Right? Oh man, that poor kid. <laughs> right? There's there's a degree of awkwardness in all of our families. Let's be honest about it. It happens in all our families. So if you are coming from an awkward family or you're in an awkward family, you know, take heart. Uh, beyond ourselves and uh, the examples from here, we can see that playing itself out through Scripture as well. Awkward family after awkward family. We look at the first family, the first parents, and how did they do, right? Adam and Eve, what happened? They were the first parents. They should set the bar for us. Well, their sons, one killed the other. Cain killed Abel. And then after he did that, he ran away. I can kind of like picture that first, you know, Mount Carton, like, you know, son missing, the photo of him right there, right? That was, that's what happened. Cain and Abel, not a good start for humanity, not a good start for parenting. Well, let's keep moving forward. Maybe it got a little better. We look at Abraham and Sarah. Uh, it was probably really awkward with their son Isaac. If you don't know the story, uh, God calls them to sacrifice their son, so they bring him up on an altar, but God provides the lamb, and they pull him off last minute, and he's not sacrificed slash killed. So I could, I could just imagine Isaac for the rest of his life, you know, um, PTSD settling in. Anytime he sees an altar, like, Dad, are you building an altar? What's, what's going on here? You know, some awkward parenting that's happening in that story, if, we, if we're really honest about it, uh, even frightful for what's happening there. You got Jacob and Leah. Uh, they had 12 sons. All the boys ganged up on Joseph. Ganged up on Joseph, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery, and then ultimately he becomes the, uh, the prime minister of Egypt. And it gets super awkward for the family because they run on hard times. Israel runs out of food. They get a famine. They have to go to Egypt, their neighboring country, and they say, hey, can you give me some food? And they're now going back to the brother they threw out and say, food, please, food, please. 
awkward family situation happening there in that home. And then lastly, lastly, Mary and Joseph. Mary, the parents of Jesus. How could they do any wrong as a parent, right? The parents of Jesus, what did they do wrong? Well, if you know the story, when he was a boy and they went off to temple, they went off to temple, had a great time, and then they went home. They went home. Mary and Joseph went home. They forgot Jesus. They forgot Jesus in the temple. They left him there. They had, oh, whoopsie, let's turn the caravan around. Let's go back, pick him up, and come back. Right? Kind of awkward parenting fails there in our own lives and in Scripture as well. The next thing is the Bible helps us, if we're struggling, if we're honest, we are struggling, it helps us with some guardrails, some parameters, some instructions in terms of our parenting and our mentoring of people. Keeps it really simple. I want to keep it real simple for yourself and for myself so I remember it and we take action upon this. The two guardrails are love and discipline. Love and discipline. I say it this way, love and discipline are the two critical ingredients every parent needs to cultivate godly children. But again, this talk goes beyond us as parents. It goes to us as, as mentors, as a grandparents. It goes to us in a number of different facets. And so you could also say it this way. Love and discipline are the two critical ingredients needed to cultivate godly mentorship. These two values, instructions, guardrails are like a yin and a yang. They both are needed to be a holistic parent, and they both complement each other. One without the other does not work. Love and discipline. So let's look at love first. How do we see that self manifested in Scripture? And then what do we do in relationship to it? We see it in Colossians. Paul is writing to the people of Colossae, and he says in chapter 3, verse 21, he says to the parents, he says, Do not provoke your children, lest they become angry. Do not provoke your children. He's saying it from the negative, but what he's saying in the positive is, parents, love your children. Or mind translation, parents, don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Don't provoke your children. Don't be a jerk. Love your children, which to us may seem obvious. We as a culture hold the value of love fairly high, but we have to remember Paul's writing 2,000 years ago to a different culture, a different people, a different time, a different mindset. So why is he telling them, parents, Hello, it's important to love your children. He's telling it because they would not think that instinctively. For them, it would have been countercultural. I want to read a quote from Dr. Titus Kennedy, the professor at Biola University. He says this when summarizing the view of parenting in the culture at the time. Generally, people in the Roman Empire did not place a high intrinsic value on children. People of all economic and cultural groups left many unwanted children to die in a practice known as exposure. Females or any child seen as a potential burden were often thought of as expendable. The role of children had an important role in Roman culture, but it was more of a utilitarian and practical value. So again, this was countercultural for them, to love their children, but Paul says it's essential. It's half the equation. You need to love your children. And for some of us in the room this morning, it may be countercultural for us as well. Because even though our culture at large values love, we may have been raised in a home that was loveless. We didn't see it modeled to us. We didn't see it shown to us. In fact, this idea to not provoke your children, you say, no, no, that was, that was my setting. I was provoked. That's all I was as a child. 
And so this idea of loving now my own children or the people I'm trying to mentor is difficult for me because it wasn't mentored for me. It may be countercultural for you. It may also be countercultural for you because you weren't planning on children. You're in a relationship, you had sex, and whoopsie, we have a child. You weren't planning on a child, but now a child's here. And so this love, you're trying to catch up to it, may be countercultural towards you. Or maybe you were married into a family with other children, and you're saying, hey, this wasn't my original plan, but now I find myself here. How do I love in this situation? That may be countercultural. If it is, that's fine. Push into that. Paul's encouraging his audience to do that. That's what we're encouraged to do today as well. So how does this look like in our lives? Kind of understand what it looks like for parents, but let's extrapolate it for the other people in the room. For grandparents, what does it look like to love your children? That might be uh, a bit of a, an aha or an obvious moment, right? Grandparents naturally love their children. They, they dote upon them. They, they spoil them. They, they give them a lot of things. Grandparents realize that your role with your grandchildren and your children is vital. They're going to be taking these memories that they have with you during these formative years, and even when you pass on and they continue, they're going to be taking those memories with them for the rest of their life. So invest in them. Invest in your children now and your grandchildren. Bring them love. Give them love. Would-be parents, think through what it would look like for your children down the road and apply that now. A great axiom is for parents is how do you say no to yourself now so you can say yes to them down the road? So maybe I don't go to Starbucks every day and get a venti drink. Maybe I say no to myself and some of the ways in which I treat myself so that I can invest that money in a 529 college savings funds for them. How do I say no to myself now and yes to them down the road? So even though I don't have children yet, I plan to, I want to, I hope for, how do I plan for that now and invest in them now? How do I love them now? Would-be parents, I'm going to encourage you as well. I had, I had great aspirations as a would-be parent. I was going to learn everything I could about parenting. I was going to be committed and competent. And then the pregnancy hit, and at that point, it was just like, let's just try to get to this deadline of nine months. Let's get the room ready. Let's get the diapers ready. And I had no time to do any reading or any learning. If you are a would-be parent, invest in yourself now so that you can love your child later by learning as much as you can. Cultivate that. Commitment and competency. For people who don't foresee themselves as becoming a parent, what does that instruction of love look like for you? Again, that probably will look like a work relationship. You as a supervisor overseeing a direct report is younger. How do you not just lead them and manage them and supervise them, right? We use those words. Those are common words in our workplace. But how do you, this is an, almost an odd word to say, how do you love that person? You know, can I even say that without HR slapping my wrist? I don't know. But how do, you, how do you show love to that person so that they know a couple things? They know that you want more than just the best from them, their output at work. You want the best for them at work. You want to see them get professionally developed, that they're going to grow into the best type of employee that they can, that their work is rewarding, that they understand what they do and how it contributes to the larger picture. How do you get the best from them and the best for them? How do you show them love? Oftentimes, year in reviews is just kind of filled with one thing. It's like, it's critique, it's critique, it's critique. How do you balance that with coaching and celebration? You did this well, you did this well. And how do you, how do you give that celebration, not just year in review, but throughout the world? How do you go beyond and show love? This is a good 
litmus test for yourself as a, as a manager or as a supervisor if you're in that role at work. If you're going down the hallway and the person who reports to you see you, what's their gut response? What's their gut response? Is their gut response is, hey, it's so great to see you. How, how's your weekend going? And they want to engage with you, then you're probably showing them some degree of love, which is good. But if their gut response is when they see you, they kind of slide off into a side office, right? Or they, they, turn, they do a 180 to turn around and walk away, or they pretend you're not there, then maybe, I'm just putting it out there, maybe you need to inject some more love into that work and mentoring relationship. So we need love. That's the one side of the equation. The other side is discipline. Discipline. It's hard for us to do that because that's a bit of a toxic word in our culture. Discipline, right? We don't want to be disciplining. Especially as parents, we want to be encouraging. We want to be uplifting. We want to be our friend of our children. Problem is, if we, if we neglect discipline, then we have problems down the road with our children and the people that we're mentoring. Small kids, we get some small problems, right? Hey, you don't need to brush your teeth twice a day. Just do it in the morning. You know, let's, maybe let's go every other day, okay, right? Maybe every other day. Let's just hold off for a full week. Let's see. Small kids lacking discipline are going to get some smaller problems. They're going to need some fillings down the road, right? But let's fast forward. If you don't exercise that muscle as a parent of discipline, what does it look like when they reach their teenage years? Hey, mom and dad, I want to I wanna go out drinking. You know what? Hey, I want to be your friend. So instead of you going out somewhere else, you know, I'll buy the booze and we'll have an underage party at my place. And, you know, let me do that. We're friends, right? I'm your buddy. I'm the cool parent. If we lack discipline, that's where it starts to move in our parenting, in our mentoring. At the end of the day, our kids are not looking for a cool parent. They're not looking for a dope parent. They're looking for a parent who's going to discipline them to some degree. They're going to have plenty of friends throughout their life. They only have one parent, and it's you. Bring love and discipline to the table. Proverbs says it this way. Proverbs 13.1 says this. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. A wise son accepts his father's discipline. You can see a gesture that's going on here, right? A son can only accept discipline if a father first gives it to them. A daughter can only receive discipline if a mother is bold enough to say, hey, here's some guardrails on your life. I'm going to give you some discipline, and this is in bounds, and this is out of bounds. They can only receive what we give them. Son receives discipline from his father. Hebrews 12 goes on and expands this model of discipline and the value of it, and it frames it in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's saying that we discipline our children because we were first disciplined by our Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12 says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for little while they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, 
but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Why do we discipline our children? Is it because they need it? Yes. And why do, they, why do, we, why do we give it to them? How do we know we need We know they need it because we need it. We need love and discipline from our Heavenly Father. I remember when I was first a camp counselor, first time at it, it was years ago, I was, I was overseeing 12-year-old boys, and I was much older, much more mature than them. I was 16. I had four years on them, so I thought I was good to go. And I came into it without any coaching, any competency. And so I came into it, and I thought, hey, if, if I want this to be a success, I want them to have a fun time. I want to be their friend. And so that first day, they were there, and we did all the fun things. We played games. We hung out. I bought them ice cream. I jacked them up on sugar. It was awesome. It was great. It was great until lights out came, and it was time for bed. And I said, all right, guys, time for bed. What do they do? Challenge me. Did not listen. Did not sleep. Didn't do anything. Why not? Because, hey, man, I thought we were friends. I thought we were friends. What are you doing? Why have you been the heavy now? We were, we were buddy-buddy all day long. Now, night comes and you want to be the heavy? No. And it was the longest night of my life trying to get those 12-year-olds to go to sleep. And I remember the next day I had bags under my eyes and a more seasoned um, veteran counselor, 17 years old, came up to me and he said to me, he said, hey, he goes, hey, man, he goes, father before brother. And I was like, okay, cryptic. What does that mean? And he unpacked it for me. He said, you have to be the father figure first before you're the brother figure. You need to be the disciplinary in their life and then add the love. And maybe, maybe when they respect you for the course of the week, you can add in that brother figure and you can add in that love and that friendship that you hope you get. Maybe not. Maybe you're just the father figure in their life, but you start there and then you add the brother afterwards. He said, you can never reverse it. If you start with the brother, you're never adding the, he's like, good luck with your, your lights out the rest of the week. You're in for a ride. But you establish yourself as the brother figure and then trying to switch it. God calls the same thing for us in our relationships. Establish ourselves, especially parents and children, discipline first, and then add the love onto that afterwards. So grandparents, what does this look like for you? Well, a couple of things. If your children or grandkids are coming over for sleepover, I can speak as a, as a parent myself, try not to keep them up all night long. Try to you know, keep the, the sugar intake to you know, maybe uh, you know, a a modest high and not a complete high for them. Um, but, so, hey, let's be honest. You are going to spoil them, right? And you deserve to. You've raised up generations of kids at this point. You've done a good job. But that spoiling should be an occasional spoiling. Because if it moves from occasional and it moves to regular, and it moves from regular to frequent, you've lost that disciplinary role in their life. And you can never speak into it. Something God has put you in a position of authority of, Hold on to it. Don't just give it away. Grandparents, what does it look like to have a disciplinary role in your children and your grandchildren's life? Would-be parents, this is a great time for you to work on the, the spiritual discipline of discipline right now for yourself. So what I mean by that is how are you demonstrating discipline in your own life? So when your kids come onto the picture... You're able to model that for them. Not just do what I say, but do what I do. Live a disciplined life. Remember about a year ago, my youngest wanted a phone. And she's been asking for phone for a while. And she kept on asking. And I was like, no, we're going to hold off. We're going to hold off. And I finally said, hey, you know, what, who, who, fr what friend of yours has a phone 
Um, that seems so important. Who is this person, you know, so I can kind of cut them out of your life. No, who is this friend of yours who has a phone? Like, tell me, what's going on inside your head? What's, why are you thinking this way? Why are you feeling this way? And she said, oh, no, no, none of my friends have a phone at, at school. And I was like, none of your friends? So why do you want a phone so bad? Who's modeling to you how awesome a phone is? And she said, you are. You are. When I came home, put my laptop away, but my phone would be tethered to me all the time. And she was saying, whatever's happening on that device, I don't know, but it must be pretty important. But you're paying attention to it and not me. So I want one of those things too. Because it seems like that is great content. And I'm not that great. Can I have one of those? I lacked the discipline needed to model to my daughter what it looked like not to be dependent on dopamine hits from a device tethered to me all the time. For would-be parents, you have an opportunity yourself to exercise discipline so that when the kids come around, you can model it to them as well. What does it look like for, for parents? And what does it look for would-be parents? And then what does it look like for those who are never planning to be parents? Well, again, we talked about that mentor relationship. That mentor relationship for you could probably be an aunt or an uncle for nieces and nephews. And it could be really easy in this situation, right, to kind of look at your, your younger brother or your older sister and saying, oh, my goodness, they're raising their kids like, you know, this is crazy. I don't know what they're doing. And to kind of stand from afar and to throw stones at what's happening in their home. But for you, discipline doesn't mean being passive. doesn't mean being on the outside criticizing. No, it means walking alongside your nieces and nephews and coming along with them with love and with discipline, playing that mentor relationship that you have by birth, by blood, through your family. If you do not have children, look around at your extended family and saying, hey, God, who are you calling me to mentor, and how am I bringing love and discipline to the table for them? A great way to, to visualize these two values, these two values of love and discipline, is through baseball. Love and discipline. Again, love and discipline are needed to cultivate godly children and godly mentorship. So baseball. Anyone here a big fan of baseball? Anyone, anyone seen baseball? Does anyone know what a baseball is? Okay, great. You're still with me. Thank you. Thank you. And, okay, so baseball, if you're not familiar with it, I'll map it out real quick for us. Uh, I'm not an artist, so please don't judge me for my skills. First service was laughing. So, but real quick, baseball field looks like this. It's kind of like a V formation. Um, you have your infield. That's here. You have your home base, first base, second base, third base. Not to scale. Again, don't judge me. Don't judge me. This is what baseball looks like. And if you're not aware, the key thing I want to draw our eyes towards is these two lines here and here. These are your foul lines. They let you know what is foul on the outside, what is out of bounds, and what is fair, what is in bounds. Some of you are already putting the dots together. When it comes to the two things that we need, the two guardrails, the two foul lines on ourselves as parents and mentors, these are it. We have love on one side, and we have discipline on the other side. Love and discipline. Anything that's within this field is fair game. It's cultivating a godly parentship and a godly mentorship. Anything outside of these guardrails is out of bounds and doesn't fall within that. So if you're wondering what is godly, again, think of the baseball metaphor. Hey, i got to keep the ball in play. Another way to, to show that and to, to highlight the tension 
is the fact that when we all come up to the plate and we all swing and hit the ball, we all naturally want to pull the ball. We want to pull the ball. So what that means is if we're a right-handed batter, what you're going to do is you're going to pull to the opposite side of the field. So if I'm a right-handed batter, I'm going to stand here, and when I hit, the ball doesn't just go straight down the middle. No, naturally, it's going to go to the left side. I'm going to, I'm going to pull the ball and put it over on the left side of the field. Vice versa, if I'm a left-handed batter, this feels so weird because I'm not, I don't even know how to do this here at this point. If you're a left-handed batter, you're going to not hit the ball and it's going to go straight. You're going to, you're going to pull the ball and it's going to go to the opposite side of the field. The, way, the reason I'm highlighting this is we all need to know which way we pull the ball. Do we pull it to the love side of the field or do we pull it to the discipline side of the field? We're all built a certain way and we naturally go one side or the other. You see this in the diagram behind me, the, the natural infielder setup where if a batter is up there and they're just hitting it normal, how they arrange the defensemen uh, from baseball. And then we see what happens when a right-handed batter comes up and they want to pull the ball to the left. You see all the infielders, they all shift. They all move to one side. And then we see when the left-handed batter comes up as well. They come up and they're going to pull the ball to the right and so the infield shifts to the other side. It's really funny. You see an example of this when Houston was facing Texas a number of years ago. You can see how they had a strong batter, left-handed batter, who's going to put it in the right-hand side of the field, and you can see how the whole team shifted over to compensate for how they were going to pull the ball and place it over there. They, everyone shifted other than poor Gonzalez. He's all there by himself in the one side of the field. If the ball got hit there, he is in trouble. So what does this mean for us? A couple of things, right? So first of all, it means all of us, we need to realize which way we naturally hit, where we pull the ball, and compensate accordingly. For dual parent homes, what does this mean for you? This means that probably your spouse is the complement to you. Wherever you're strong at, they're going to be weak, and wherever they're weak, you're going to be strong. So if you naturally pull towards the love, your spouse is probably on the other side, discipline, and vice versa. Now here's the tension. It can be easy in a dual parent home to be critical of the other parent because they don't put the ball where you naturally do, right? And you might want to say, hey, you know, uh, I think your batting stance is a little wrong, or maybe, maybe you need an aluminum bat instead, or maybe you need some, like, uh, you know, personal health, human uh, growth hormones to kind of, you know, step up your, your bulk, and you might give them coaching and saying, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. But again, as long as they're putting it between the foul lines, and keeping it in play between love and discipline, they're playing the ball well. Don't criticize your spouse because they do it differently than you. You need them to compliment where you're weak. Now, a single parent house. Yes, compliment each other. Single parent house. There's more tension here because you don't have someone coming up to bat after you. It's yourself. So this is even more critical for you, that you, again, you need to know where you're going to pull the ball. Because if you don't, you're just going to keep hitting it there again and again and again. You need to be aware of that and say, this is my natural disposition. When I'm coming up to plate this time, I'm going to change my stance and my posture so that I put it on this side of the field that time. That's what we need to do if we're single parents in our home. Be aware of where you're pulling the ball and compensate accordingly. And then lastly, some of us here don't even want to step up the bat. We're like, you know what, no, no thanks, I'm, I'm, I don't want to step up to bat. Because in our life, we got a poor track record. Our batting average is very low. We strike out a lot, and we don't even want to come to the plate. Or maybe it's not even us. Maybe it's like the team before us were really bad batters. Our parents, or our parents' parents. And we have generation of poor hitting in our family. And we're saying, you know what, I, I don't want to come to the plate. I'm intimidated by it. 
I'm, I'm embarrassed by it. I'm ashamed by it. And this whole parenting and mentoring thing, I'd rather not. I'm going to sit in the dugout, and I don't, I don't want to activate that role, which is understandable, that hurt and that shame that you might be feeling. But my encouragement to you this morning, if that is your situation, then realize that when you come up to the plate, you have a new at-bat. And the pitch count is zero, zero. Zero balls and zero strikes. So that baggage that you have, that poor batting average you have, don't take that with you to the plate. Step up to the plate and realize zero, zero. You have a chance to put that ball in play. Beyond that, God, who's modeled what love and discipline looks like, wants you to succeed when you step up as a parent and you step up as a mentor to the plate. He's going to help empower you. He's going to help you put it in play and exercise love and discipline. We know God is going to help us. Because again, he models these two attributes perfectly. Love and discipline. It says this. In 1 John 4, 8, God is love. It's the one side of the field. Hebrews 12, 6 the Lord disciplines those he loves. We see in Scripture both of these. Right? We're not looking to Dr. Phil as our example, or Oprah, or some other parenting guru for our example here. We're looking towards God and to Christ. What does it say about Christ? John 1.17, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth, love and discipline came through Jesus. That is the God that we have. That is the God that loves us. That is a God that empowers us. That is a God that wants to see us succeed when we step up to the plate, the plate and bat as parents and as mentors. There's a number of resources I want to give as I'm concluding here to help you on your way. A number of resources. The first one is I encourage you to do life together with somebody as a parent. If you're having a hard time batting, if you're having a hard time stepping up to the plate, then I encourage you to join a life group of parents who are also on this same journey. We have two particular ones that I want to highlight this morning. The first one is, is held um, by the Redline, um, with Redline Parents. It's by, uh, happening here on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. I encourage you, if you have a student, a teenager, and you're struggling to parent them, connect with this life group. They may help you at your at-bats. Beyond that, there's one for single parents and blended families happening online Thursday night at 7.30s. That's you. Yeah, I'm a single parent. I'm a blended family. There's unique challenges I have that weren't touched on here. That might be the life group for you. I encourage you to consider that and to be a part of a group. Maybe you don't have time to be a part of a group. Those times don't work for you. I understand. I encourage you to check out our resource lounge. In our resource lounge, we've got a lot of great books. We have a whole section dedicated towards parenting resources. If you can't join a group, jump into a book, read, cultivate. Commitment, competency. Step up your competency as a parent. If you want to continue stepping up your competency, there's a great resource that we have. If you go to tlcc.org slash parent resources slash parent resources, you'll find a great curated resource we made for you. Our K-Port team has put this together. It's a great free PDF that you can download. Lots of great content on there. The one that stood out to me was 10 hard questions your child might ask. I wish that was 110 hard questions your child might ask, but it's a great resource if you're a parent who's struggling, especially as kids are verbalizing some of the concerns that they have in their life. Again, tlcc.org slash parent resources.
But hey, I want to I wanna conclude here, not just by resourcing you, resourcing myself, resourcing us in our parenting and our mentoring, but I want to pray for you as well. Please join me in prayer as we, as we conclude our service here. Lord, we thank you that you've given us wisdom. You've given us some, some foul lines of love and discipline, helping us as parents and mentors stay in play and not go foul, beyond giving us guidelines and, and foul lines and giving us resources. Uh, you give us a relationship with you as well. You give us a relationship as the ultimate father, the ultimate parental unit, and you give us, you give us love and discipline. Father, may we receive that from you. May we receive the love that we need from you when we need that and the discipline that we need from you as well, knowing that you give it to us because you love us. May we receive both and be molded and, and, and forged as parents and mentors for the next generation that's coming up behind us. May we receive from you to give to others.